Daniel chapter number 8. Daniel chapter number 8. We'll read all of the text in its entirety. As is our custom, I ask that you would turn or stand, excuse me, in honor and reverence to God's holy word, Daniel chapter number 8. We'll begin with verse number 1. If you don't have a copy of God's word, we have the scripture on the screen where you are free to follow along. Daniel chapter number 8, beginning with verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ula Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. The higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. And no beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. And I was considering, as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. And it became great even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. 
and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? the transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. And when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulach, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for, as for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors, transgressors excuse me, have reached their limit, the king of boldface, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. And by his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We hear in Daniel chapter number eight, we go back to the future. Daniel begins by sharing with us that he received this vision in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Last week we read Daniel 7 and we learned that that vision came in the first year of Belshazzar. And now we see Daniel changing up the timeline because early 
we hear about Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaves the scene and we hear about King Belshazzar. He's king over Babylon and he sees the hand writing on the wall. And then after King Belshazzar leaves the scene, then we are told that Darius comes on the scene. And he is now king of the world. He was king of the Medes. But now Daniel says, I've told you of our experience in Babylon. Let me show you what I saw in Babylon. This vision is a revelation from God. And our, the question for us this morning is, has it happened? Is it true? What are we to learn from it? Let's see. A lot of ways, this text is easy to understand because we have the vision that is given, and then we have the interpretation. This vision starts with Daniel seeing a ram. And this ram is said to be great. It has two horns, but one of the horns was longer than the other. And we know from the interpretation that this ram symbolizes Media and Persia. The Medes were originally the world power, but Cyrus took over. He was in Persia, and Persia then became the stronger power over media, and that's the longer horn. They would become the world power after Babylon. But then, a goat shows up on the scene. And this goat is said to have become exceedingly great. This goat is enraged. It had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. And it was swift as well. And we learn that this goat symbolizes Greece. Greece is now the world power. That single horn, by the way, is for Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great became king at age 20. And it was in 334 B.C., that he launched his attack against the Persians. And Alexander the Great conquered most of the known world of that day. He was a brilliant military leader and strategist. And it was at the height of his reign in 323 B.C. that he died. At age 32, he's the single horn of the goat. 
And then we learned that four horns came up after that. Alexander the Great had two sons, but they were murdered. And so now we've got this world power Greece with no leader. What history tells us is that the kingdom was divided into four parts. And over those four parts were four leaders. There are your four horns. Now, from one of those four horns comes a little horn. That is the focus of this text, the little horn. The, this little horn came from the horn which was called the Seleucids. This little horn came to power in 163 BC. And this little horn, history will tell us, is none other and a fellow by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. And this whole passage is mostly about him. And here's what we learn about this little horn, Antiochus. He came on the scene by murdering his own brother. Came to power in 175 B.C. And then in one, around 170 B.C., he, he, he raged Jerusalem. And one of the first things he does is he assassinates the high priest. In 169 B.C., he slaughtered 80,000 men, women, boys, and girls, and infants. History also tells us that in 167 B.C., he entered the temple and put an object of Zeus in the temple of the living God. And on that object, in the temple of the living God, he offered swine on the altar. This is the desecration of the temple here in Daniel chapter number 8. We read later on that he, he also would bring, throw truth down to the ground. What is that referring to? History tells us that Antiochus attempted to destroy the scriptures by tearing them to pieces and burning them with fire. This man was so anti-God and anti-scriptures that if anyone was found, if any scriptures were found in anyone's possession, he decreed that they be put to death. So every one of you that brought your Bibles to church this morning, Antiochus was put you to death. These Daily sacrifices that are referred to here in Daniel 8 refer to the morning and evening sacrifices made by the priest on behalf of the nation of Israel. 
And it says he put a stop to it. And so what I want you to feel this morning is the weight of the persecution that Israel faced under this little horn. This little horn, he started insignificantly, but he became very powerful. What, what, that, that's the vision. That's the interpretation. What are we to take from all of this? First of all, I'm going to start actually at the end. Verse 26. The vision of the evenings and the mornings has been told is true. What this passage teaches us is, first of all, that the revelation of God, which we have, is the word of God, is true. Everything that was prophesied came to pass. Median Persian brought down Babylon. Then Greece took down Median Persia. And then Rome would later take down Greece. Antiochus ruled and persecuted his people. Everything that happened came to pass. And so what we have here is teaches us that the word of God is true. And because it is true, it can be believed, it can be trusted in, and it is the final authority for us on what we are to believe and how we are to behave. What this teaches us is that we can have faith in the reliability of all the revelation of God, the Holy Scriptures. And if God was true to this vision here in Daniel chapter 8, I can run on to Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and put faith and hope in what God has revealed. Spoiler alert, God wins. Here's what else we are to learn from Daniel chapter 8. What is clear from Daniel chapter 8 for the people of God is that kingdoms rise and fall, but the kingdom of God stands forever. Remember, Babylon, which is where Daniel opens in Daniel chapter 1, was a world power, but she fell. Media and Persia was a world power, but she was overtaken and she fell. Greece was a world power, but she was overtaken and she fell. Rome was a world power, but she was overtaken and she fell. The only kingdom that has not been overtaken and is still standing and will stand forever is the kingdom of God. So what then? Well, I think what this teaches us is that we don't hitch our hope to earthly kings and kingdoms. What this passage teaches us is they rise, but they also fall. And so we put our hope in the king who lives forever and ever. 
kingdoms rise and fall, but the kingdom of God stands forever. And because kingdoms rise and fall, one of the things Antiochus Epiphanes, one of the things that he wanted was for everyone to be assimilated and acculturated into the culture of, uh, of Greece. And what happens actually is some of the Jews fall for it. And they abandon their God and their faith and they fall under Antiochus Epiphanes and, and they do what he tells them to do. So I think one of the things that we are to take from this truth that kingdoms rise and fall is that we don't have to cave to the culture. We don't have to conform to the world around us, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Kingdoms rise and fall, but the kingdom of God stands forever. Secondly, I think what this passage is here in our Bible to teach us is that as kingdoms collide, there will be tribulation but remain faithful. As kingdoms collide, there will be tribulation, but remain faithful. I think this is a message God wants to give to his people. This message is that in the coming days, there will be tribulation. Suffering is inevitable, people of God. That's the consequence of living in a fallen world. In the midst of this suffering, persecution, and tribulation, the call for the people of God is faithfulness. Is that not what we've seen throughout the book of Daniel thus far? Recall Daniel chapter 1. They are taken from their homeland and brought to Babylon. And what the king Nebuchadnezzar wants to do is assimilate them into a Babylonian culture. He wants them to learn their language, their culture, and he wants them to eat their food. But Daniel says, okay, I will learn your language and I will be educated by you, but I'm not touching your food and your drink. He remained faithful to God. Not only do we see faithfulness in Daniel 1, we also see it in Daniel chapter 3. If you remember Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree that every person was to bow down and worship the golden image that he had set up. And anyone who didn't bow down to, to this golden image would be thrown into a fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got snitched on. King gave them one more chance. They said, he said, you can bow down now. You can go into the fiery furnace. They say, oh, king, we will not bow down to your image. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even even if he don't, we ain't going to bow down. They were thrown into the furnace. But God got into the furnace with them. They were faithful to their God even in the midst of suffering and persecution. We don't even, not only do we have Daniel 3, but we have another story in Daniel chapter 6. We read this two weeks ago. 
Darius issued a decree requiring that no one make a petition of any person or God except Darius. And the Bible says when Daniel found out about the, the decree, he went up into his window and prayed three times a day. And as a result, he was cast into a den of lions. God got into the den with him, sent an angel, and shut up the, dan- the, the lion's mouth. Daniel was faithful, and God honored their faithfulness. So I think the truth for us believers is this. Even in the midst of impending suffering, trials, and tribulations, remain faithful even unto death. Now, 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 for all my theologians in here, let me make this, let me balance this out. God may not reward your faithfulness on this side. You might end up dying for your faith. Oh, but on the other side, if you remain faithful, here's what the Lord's going to say. Well done. Good and. Oh, help me preach this thing. Faithful servant. Either way, either in this life or in the next life, God will reward our faithfulness. This would be a necessary call to arms for the people who would read about this vision. Antiochus was a tyrant. And the people of God were persecuted and some were even killed. But in spite of all of that, they were to remain faithful. Not only is that the response for the people of God in the, uh, in the uh, 100 BC, that's the response for us today. No matter the situation, we are called to be faithful unto death. But I want you to see something. I think there's a clear lesson for us also in verse number 13. This is going to be our third lesson. Look at verse number 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking. Another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Ooh, y'all, this is a good spot to do something. Watch this. The question, how long? The answer, 2,300 evenings. I got my boots on today. I need my running shoes. Watch this. Here's the question. How long? Answer, 2,300 evenings. Okay. Let me help you. Question. How long? Thank you. Answer. Hold on. It won't always be like this. Evil has a limit. Suffering comes with an expiration date. That's the lesson for us. And someone here this morning needs to hear, it won't always be like this. 
Evil, sin, and suffering all have a limit. Your trial, your tribulation, your heartache, your pain has a limit. Its days are numbered. Thank you. Thank you, baby. Somebody needs to be reminded of the psalmist who said, weeping may endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. And so for us, all we got to do is hold on, make it through the night. The church of Jesus Christ today needs to hear this. Evil will not always run rampant. It has a limit. One day, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will return and he will defeat Satan's sin and death for good. They will be no more. So we ought to take heart and be of good courage because our suffering has an expiration date. Finally, I think this passage is tailored to teach us that in spite of present circumstances, God wins in the end. Verse 25 says, by his cunning, he shall make the sea prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. And without warning, he shall destroy many. He shall even rise up against the prince of princes. Here it is. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. When the text says the prince of princes, that's referring to God himself. The text says that Antiochus will will be so proud and so arrogant that he will rise up against God himself. Historical records say that he had money, coins printed out with his picture on one side and, and it said Theos Epiphanes on the back side. Theos is God. Epiphanes is manifest. He believed that he was God incarnate. He was the representative of the gods. So the text says, he's going to become great in his own mind and in his own eyes, but he will be broken. And it says, not by a human hand. If it ain't human, then it's got to be divine. And so what we see clearly is that the hand of God is going to break him and destroy him. And so here's the simple lesson for us. God will defeat those who rebel against him. God judges rebels. And here's the truth. This truth is not just for Antiochus. This truth is for every person who has not made peace with God. If you have not yet made peace with God, you too are a rebel. And the biblical term for a rebel is sinner. Sinners are rebels against the one true eternal king. Their end is destruction and eternal damnation. But this king is different from from earthly kings. He himself has made a way for rebels to repent and to be forgiven of their rebellion and sin. 
He himself has made a way by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment for all rebels. Jesus, his son, died like he was a rebel. It was for our treason that Jesus was crucified on a cross. It was for our rebellion that Jesus died on our on the cross. It was for our transgressions that he was bruised and beaten and murdered on the cross. It, but it was for our trans for our justification that he was raised from the dead on the third day. And beloved, the response demanded for repentant rebels is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. The call for repentant rebels is to surrender to Christ by faith. And beloved, the good news is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer rebels, but we are friends and citizens of the kingdom of God. We are no longer hostile to our heavenly king, but we are at peace with our heavenly king. And this king has promised us eternal life. Oh, for those of you who are here this morning, this is good news for you because you too were rebel, uh, rebel, excuse me. You too were a rebel, but now you are reconciled. I was a rebel, but now I'm redeemed. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Evil has a limit. Here's what history tells us. Antiochus Epiphanes, he, he desecrated the temple. Worship team, you can come on. He desecrated the temple. But God's people stood up and they revolted against Antiochus. Google it. Google Judas Maccabees. It's called the Maccabean Revolt. They revolted and the temple was cleansed and rededicated. What God said came true. Verse 14. It's only going to last for 2300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. And historically speaking, that is what happened. So, simple. What, what, what we see here is that the God we serve, he's the God of the past, the present, and the future. God is in control of the past, the present, and the future. There is no point in history or in the future where God loses control. Nothing that ever happened in the history of mankind caught God by surprise. For us, Daniel 8 is history. For Daniel, it was future. Those under Antiochus Epiphanes, it was the present. In every situation, God was sovereign. God was in control. And has that not been, I told you, beloved, the lesson of Daniel? God is sovereign and he reigns forever. But kingdoms will collide. The kingdom of man and the kingdom of God 
they will collide. When they collide, how will you respond? And here's the call. Be faithful. Keep your hope in, in God. He never fails. If you are here today, or if you are online today, and you are a rebel, God sent you here providentially to hear that there's a way for rebels to repent, to return, to be saved from his wrath, and that is through Jesus Christ. So the call for you today is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved from the wrath of the King. For those of us who are redeemed rebels, here. See, oftentimes what happens is we get a passage like Daniel 8 and it gives us some kind of timeline. We see that it's only going to last for 2,300 evenings and then certain people take out their calendar. How many times have you heard the Lord is coming back on a certain date? This passage is not here for our calendar. It's for our comfort. So in the midst of heartache and pain, when it seems like evil is running rampant and the world keeps getting worse and worse, this passage here is for our comfort, for our hope, to get our eyes on Jesus. Let's stand and respond in song.